Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror. So, what do you want from football? Entertainment? Escapism? A sense of adventure? Or do you just want to win? If that's the case, Jose's your man. By the end of this week, Manchester United could be in the semi-finals of the FA Cup and the last eight of the Champions League. End justifies the means, doesn't it? <laughs> well, when you're Manchester United playing against Liverpool, the end does justify the means, because on a one-off occasion you have to win that match. Uh, and I actually thought, in terms of a spectacle, there was bits of that United performance that were really worth watching. You know, the Rashford was thrilling, and uh, the, the pace with which they counter-attacked was reminiscent of the Fergie days. Then you had 45 minutes plus six minutes stoppage time of, of siege and, and, and United playing at home, but actually playing like a smaller team, clinging on and, and getting away with it. I think the, the problem for Mourinho is that you go outside that one-off game and speak generally, there's a philosophical difference between his football and Manchester United's traditions and what, what their supporters want. And I, I, I'm not sure that will ever be, you can ever square that circle as it were. So he has to put trophies on the sideboard in order to get away with it, I guess, in order to justify it long term. So this season, you can look at it and say second best in, in the Premier League, which is quite a good achievement, considering how good Tottenham and, and Liverpool are. Um, he is developing young players. I think McTominay, Lukaku's developed as a player, Rashford. The, 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 there's a lot of things that you could, you could, if you want to support Jose Mourinho, you've got to say he's doing right. But there's a sense that it just doesn't, still doesn't look like Manchester United when you're watching it on the. It doesn't pitch. feel like it. And then if you look at the, the strategy, I'm I'm very confused about their recruitment strategy. Is it just like kid in a sweet shop? Let's throw as much money as we've got, which is an awful lot, at a player, irrespective of whether he happens to fit into our system. Sanchez being case in point. Yeah, I think there's a cross between that and making sure that City don't get them. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, listen, I remember Mourinho buying Mo Salah when he was at Chelsea when he was on the verge of signing for Liverpool. Mm. You'd imagine that was because he didn't want uh, uh, Liverpool to get him. And I think when you look at Rashford, I think he's played less than 100 minutes. He's scored 12 goals so far this season. Uh, Two shots on target and he scored with both of them. You know, in a weird way... Although there were concerns about his position at the club, Sanchez has probably helped him, <laughs> you know, because he's come and he's stayed fresh, he's got that edge, he'll go to the World Cup regardless, as Mourinho was telling us. I, I just think in terms of Manchester United, it doesn't appear to be a very coherent strategy. Um, there's an irony about this stage of the season, because obviously we haven't liked the football at mm. Manchester United, but we're entering the stage of the season where for all the artistry of the preceding yeah, yeah. seven, nine months, whatever, it's now about getting over the line. 
it's now about finding a way to win. And so often we used to say about Arsenal, yeah. they play great football, but do they know how to get over the line? Mm -hmm. And now it's about getting over the line, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in the FA Cup, and Mourinho's your man for that, as you were saying. But I think in terms of a strategy, it just doesn't really look to be well at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I wonder if, if Sanchez and Pogba can, can play together yeah. long term, which, which is a, a huge headache given the, the, the outlay on both of them. Or do Man United look at it like that? Does Edward would just think they both made incredible, you know, social media right. sensations yeah, when they yeah. were signed? But that's what he said, didn't shirt. he? He said, you know, yeah. we are. Uh, when he gave his statement toward obeying shareholders, <laughs> and he said, look, we were about Galacticos, big names. Yeah. This is the profile mm -hmm. player we should be signing. But I look at Sanchez and I think, does he look at City? ripping it up and think to himself what have I done playing the way that he would like mm. to play rather than he looked like a little boy lost I was at Palace the other night still hasn't really found a niche in that team mm -hmm. you know I, I've every time you watch him he doesn't look as though he's a player enjoying the game enjoying the football whereas if he had gone to City I think he would have expressed himself far better mm. yeah because that's part of the, the the additional pressure on a modern manager uh, you know, at the top of the Premier League, it's not just a football decision yeah. to leave him out. It's a commercial decision. Yeah. You know, someone like Pogba, he's, he's actually not spoken of as a footballer no. anymore. He's a content creator for social media. Yeah. So where are we going with that? That's where we are. I, I know. It, it is so far removed from the simplicity of putting your best team on, on the pitch. And Sanchez is... I mean, they have to play him. They're paying him so much money and he's part of the, the marketing strategy. They have to play him. May, I don't know, may, maybe with Pogba, they might feel they've had their social media bounce from him. He might feel it's time for him mm. to move on. I, I think football-wise, the pair of them just look like they want to get on the ball at all times, roam wherever they want to, to roam to get it, and be free. And that, that's fine, but I don't think you can have two players like that. interesting thing team. about Pogba is that there's talk about Umtiti at Barcelona yeah. and, and Mourinho wanting him. Mm. Now, I wonder if Umtiti, the way it's been presented is that Mourinho has been saying to Pogba and Martial, you know, you, you know, talk to him when you're an mm -hmm. international, see if you'd fancy it. Well, actually, you'd think, mm -hmm. you'd look at those two players and think, no chance, you know. <laughs> Martial can't get in the team. Pogba, as you say, he just doesn't look to have worked. You ask about strategy, it, it looks like they bought him for the sake of buying him because Mourinho wanted him, because obviously he wanted him at Chelsea as well. But did he fit, was he a good fit for the team? You know, they... I don't think he's become a bad player overnight because when no, you saw him at Juventus not. and the way he helped them to a Champions League final, you realise this was an all-action marauding midfielder who could, in the right team, do the business. I just don't think that, A, he's got the confidence of Mourinho and, B, he fits into that team well enough. Mm. You know, given what we're talking about, Johnny, what about the player that you quite memorably described as the shiny, bonced Rambo? <laughs> you, know, you can probably get away with that. I can. Uh, Ashley Young is a great survivor, isn't he? What, yeah, what, what, what a willpower that guy's got to, to still be a Manchester United first-choice player. And actually, he's gone from being the supposed weak link, you know, how can he be a left-back, to one of the best players in this, in this recent run. I thought he was extraordinary on, on Saturday. Defensively, so competitive. Didn't lose a thing and, and provides him with drive, energy, leadership. I wonder if the nature of full-back play is changing anyway and we're going to see more of these... Midfielders converted into, in, in, I mean, United sort of pushed up wing backs. Pushed up wing backs. I mean, mm. you don't have traditional wingers anymore, so full backs don't have to defend one on one the way they used to. And then coaches like wingers, full backs to come into midfield and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we've seen Delft, we've seen Valencia, we've seen Ashley Young do it. I think maybe this is the future. Maybe Ashley Young's going to have another five years of doing this because he's a little bit ahead of the curve. I loved watching him on, on Saturday. Mm. And we have to give credit to Mourinho. We've, you know, I guess we've we've been a, bit, a little bit negative. Slaughtered him enough. <laughs> <laughs> They've just beaten Liverpool and we've been quite negative about I mean, he has seen a few things and got them right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long ago we were all sort of saying, oh, you know, Luke Shaw, poor Luke Shaw, he doesn't get a chance. He doesn't. Mm. I mean, Luke Shaw's never shown any of that drive in a Manchester United shirt mm. in his whole Manchester United career that, that Ashley Young showed in 90 minutes on, on Saturday. Mm. Do you think you know, the Seville on, on uh, midweek for the Champions League Nil-nil, principally because of David De Gea. Mm. Do you expect him, there's a lot of talk about him being offered a new contract, 350000 a week. I, I've still got this thing in the back of my brain that 
ultimately you want to go back to Spain. Is that a question of when rather than if? I think so, uh, because um, I, I think when you look at Real Madrid, and that's a club he's been linked with most, it'd be a good fit for them. Although saying all of that, Keylor Navas isn't doing too badly. You know, he's keeping them in the competition that they seem to make. That they have made their own in the last four seasons. Three times they've won it. Um, but I just think De Gea is a world-class goalkeeper who would be just such a good fit. They will restructure at the end of the season whether they win the Champions League or not. And I think they'll obviously buy another forward player. They could even change a manager if they don't win the Champions League. But I think they'll probably buy three or four Galacticos because that's the way they go about their business. Um, and I think it'd be a good fit for them. I think there'll be two or three Man United players who might exercise their right to say, look, you know, we're, we're floundering behind City. Maybe this might be the time for us to move on. That's not to say they're not already at a massive club doing well, and you have to highlight the successes. They could win the Europa League, they could win the FA Cup. That could represent a decent season for them. But Real Madrid, it's, it's just so much more, isn't it? Mm. It's not going to get any easier anytime soon, is it? You know, I, I noticed that Pep was talking mm. uh, this week about, uh, yeah, 10 years? Oh, well, why not? Yeah, the tr and, and the trouble is, you look at that City team, they're young. You know, if he wants to do 10 years, well, he's got players there he can do 10 years with. Leroy Sani, what's he going to... I mean, look how good he is already. What's he going to be like over the next five or six years? Mm -hmm. Raheem Sterling's still developing. We think he's an older player. You know, Gabriel Jesus, they've just signed Laporte, who's 23 years old. He's got, they've already got John Stones at the back. I mean, it, you go through, apart from David Silva and Vincent Kompany, um, well, maybe Aguero, but, but, you know, he's evergreen. They've got a team to, to, to keep there, and of course they've got the financial power to, to keep investing in it. And the one thing that we thought might limit the shelf life was Pep himself, because he's, he's a sort of three years and out type of manager, we thought. But he's enjoying himself. He's, he's not that stressful figure that he was at Barcelona that had to take a sabbatical. So it, it, I think that's terrifying for everyone else. Mm. What also strikes me when you speak to other coaches or managers is how they, the reverence that they've got for Pep in terms of, you know, he's a landmark figure in their trade for what he did at, at Barcelona. That's going to come into vogue this week, Chelsea in the new camp. How do you see that one going, Darren? I can't see anything other than a Barcelona win. Um, they're undefeated at home all season. I think I was at Chelsea's game against Crystal Palace at the weekend and the defensive weaknesses that they had. You were there, weren't you? I was. Um, Zaha came on at half-time. And with his career, he replaced Christian Benteke, who basically mm. allowed the Chelsea defence to have their cigars out. Mm. They had to put them away when Zaha came on <laughs> because he occupied at times three players at a time. And you just look at the creativity and the, the, the craft in that Barcelona side. The difficulty that they're going to give to Chelsea, I just can't see they'll handle it. And afterwards, Conte was saying, you know, we're going to suffer, you know, and, and, and all of the stuff that you would expect him to say as underdogs. But he's right, they will, because defensively they're not that strong. Up front, he, Conte likes to play a false nine, but Hazard doesn't like to play it. Mm. I can't see that they'll go with the Chiru up front, even though, you know, maybe they do need a point. Yeah, I saw a Hazard. piece by Don, Don Fifield this morning in The Guardian where he was thinking, actually, that could happen, that Giroud would play as that traditional number nine. But the problem is that Hazard doesn't like to play... Um, sorry, I'll, I'll go back to what I was saying. That because Hazard doesn't like yeah. to play that yeah. role. Yeah. Forgive yeah. me. And, and so I, I think that would make more sense because if they've got any chance of winning that game, you've got to have round pegs and round holes, eh? and you've got to have Hazard playing in a manner that will allow him to express himself. Mm. And I don't think <clears> that's the force nine labouring against, you know, decent defender. Decent, that's another yeah. statement, isn't it? Mm. Um, is going to enable them to do that. So, no, I, I, I think Barcelona will win, but I think Chelsea will have more of a chance if they play with a point yeah. man. It's interesting that it seems that Conte actually is, is being a little bit more collaborative with his mm. players now. He's actually saying, well, how do you think we should play against yeah. Barcelona? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a bit of a step forward, isn't it? It's the antithesis of, of his approach, you know, up, up, up to date. I mean, maybe he has to, really, because it's... It's plainly not, and I don't know what it was like on the pitch on, on Saturday, Darren, but it's, it's plainly not a happy team at the moment. It hasn't been a happy team for a while. And to keep them on board, he's probably got to... Mm. You can't ignore Aidan Hazard, who could leave the club if you're not careful, when, when he gives the interview that he gave last week after the City game. Just, just to interject there, on Friday, it's quite interesting that Conte um, has said what he said, because on Friday he told this story about when he was a player 
and he criticised the, the coach's tactics. Lippy, wasn't it, yeah. That's right, Lippy. And Lippy said Lippy made an example of him when he came mm. back to, to his club, and not just in private, but in front of the other players as well. And it was almost a coded warning to Hazard, you know, know your place. But then after the game on Saturday, mm. he said, oh, no, I will consult my players, you know. And, seemed, and, and obviously in the game, he played with Giroud up front, you know. Mm -hmm. So there was almost <clears> in, in 24 hours an acceptance of the player who is his biggest mm. and the club's prize asset, if you like, that he would be prepared to listen to what he wants so that he could get the best out of him and he would keep, be able to keep him happy. Is that the signal that this game is last chance saloon? Yeah, and, and, and I think it is. And to kind of bring it back to where we started, it makes you think of style. If, if, if Chelsea would have any chance against Barcelona, they've probably got to play like Manchester United did on, on Saturday. Plus, they've probably got to play like they played against Man City mm. themselves, but with, with a point man, I agree with Dan there, and, and, you know, because it was useless having Hazard in that situation. And if they get a victory doing that, who's going nobody would criticise them. So we've got to remember that as well when it comes to style. If Conte, who was hammered after his performance at City, if he repeats that and gets away with, somehow gets away with, a 1-0 or whatever, then, you know, give him all the praise. Bear in mind, too, Chelsea were the first, and we all thought they wouldn't be Atletico Madrid. Yeah. Early in the season, they were the first English team to, to go there and win, you know. And Atletico Madrid, everyone said, no, they're not the same team. They're the big challengers to Barcelona in the league now. So, oh, big challengers. They've been the only challengers, the only serious ones. And so, uh, if anyone can do it, you know, you can't ever write Chelsea off, but I still think Barcelona. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing Kante. The, the, the amount of ground he's going to cover <laughs> yeah. in that game and the, the off the scale, won't it? Oh my word! Yeah, <clears throat> I mean he's he's got he'll probably enjoy himself, but he's got his work cut out. My goodness! Yeah, yeah, and the defence have as well. I just get the the impression that Suarez quite likes playing against English teams because it's a reminder. Yeah, I do. It's a, it's a it's a reminder of the fact that he basically made hay when he was in the Premier League against them. Um, and there are weaknesses in, in, in that team. I can't see Cahill play. Um, I think he'll probably play with uh, a three uh, because he'll need to keep every back door closed, padlocked, and he'll put the security <laughs> light on as well. Um, but I just think that Suarez... The, the reason why Suarez has been successful at, at Barcelona is because he's played exactly the same way as he plays at Liverpool. He just expresses himself. He does what he wants. But he's also, within that... I've got an understanding and an appreciation of the players around him. You know, he doesn't just play for himself. At Liverpool, he practically carried them on his back at times, but he dovetails so superbly with all the other players at, at Barcelona. I don't think they'll know what, what threat's coming from where. Yeah. You know, it'll be a nightmare for them. just want to widen it just slightly, Johnny, if I may. Uh, Marcus McGuane, mm. lad at Arsenal. Mm. His talent really was underappreciated. Has gone to Barcelona actually made his first team debut, albeit in a, in a minor cup game. That, to me, is, is sort of symbolic because younger English players mm. are now moving abroad. Now, you've, you've just been to see uh, Jadon Sancho yeah. in Dortmund. What's your impression of, of him as a, a kid? Because he's obviously got talent, huge yeah. talent. How's he dealing with that transition? Oh, I, was, I was hugely impressed with him. And, and my goodness, he's got talent. I mean, if you get a chance to... 20 minutes on YouTube looking at Jaden Sancho, that'll make your day if you're English. I mean, what, what a player he could become. I was really impressed with um, humility. I think he's, he, he's got a humility I didn't necessarily expect because you, you look at him, he's a kid that's moved twice and you thought, what's he going to be like? But actually, a lovely kid. Um, quite sensible. I think he's made a sensible career choice because Manchester City wanted to give him a big contract and keep him, but he, he, he weighed it up and he, he looked at Dortmund as a club at the history and thought, well, look what they've done with Dembele, look what they've done with Pulisic, with Kagawa, young players. I could be part of that. Or I guess he could have the season that Phil Foden's having, which isn't a bad season for Phil Foden, but he's not doing what, what Jaden's doing, playing six, seven, eight, nine Bundesliga games with the trust of the coach. Um, I think it's good for English football, actually, if these younger players start to go abroad because they'll play. But they also come out of our bubble. Mm. And, and one thing that struck me was Sancho was sitting down with me, with another newspaper, with the BBC. It was all very down-to-earth. It was all very open. You know, our, our kids, and you know this, Mike, in, in, in the academies, they get protected, they get molly-cuddled, yeah. they get insulated, and that's not going to happen to him. Well, it's beyond that. It's, it's actually when they get become pros, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah think, absolutely. You think of the, the minding now that goes on 
He's a modern player. Well, basically, you've got press officers man-marking players yeah. everywhere they go, you know, telling them what they can and can't say, uh, telling you what you can and can't ask them. And these, are, you know, these are players who, when they are handed the responsibility yeah. that players like Sancho get abroad, uh, Adamola Lookman yeah, has gone abroad, yeah, yeah. um, uh, uh, Reese Oxford who's gone away. And yeah. it was quite interesting, Pep Guardiola gave an interview a couple of days ago where he said, look, more English players should go abroad because if you look at the Spanish national team, they play in the Premier League, they come with <clears> more power, they're more aware, you know, they're more robust, they're able to cope with difficult situations. As young players, we don't have, I don't think we've had uh, an Englishman abroad, well, we have obviously now, but mm. it, in the England team, Beckham and Owen, yeah, 06, yeah, you know, and, and mm. what we should have is the case where these guys get real world experience against quality players playing regular first team football so they can come back and make a contribution to yeah. I was I was really um, impressed with Eric Dyer. He yeah. did an interview, I think, it was Henry, with Henry Winter, where he talked about uh, look. You know, in our dressing room, we talk about Brexit. Yeah. You know, we talk about <laughs> yeah. Cat, you know Catalonia. That you know, they're, they're ordinary young men, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And and, and that's it. And we, we why are we trying to create a, a culture where we're treating them as any different to that? Mm. You know, I mean, Jaden Sancho's off having to cook for himself, having to look after himself, as, as a 17-year-old, any 17-year-old will benefit from. And you know what? He can, you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas Premier League culture, we think, oh, we can't, oh, they've got to focus all about the football. They can't have to do anything for themselves, which creates a different sort of dynamic, a different personality, and it's very dangerous. Um, so I think, I think they'll, they'll grow as people if they go abroad. They'll, they'll grow as footballers. But what a waste for Premier League clubs as well. Mm. Why aren't they using them? It's interesting talking to Arsene Wenger about it. That he, his view is that there is also an econom economic element, almost like commercial opportunism. If you're someone like Sancho and you go abroad for maybe two years, you get sold back into the Premier League and everyone's mm. happy, aren't they? Because the agent will get a much bigger slice of a much bigger pie. Absolutely. But I've always been of the opinion that um, some of the, the waste in terms of talent falling by the wayside is because the, the choices that have been made have been commercially driven rather than football yeah. mm. choices. Right. And there are so many good players that we sort of see as cautionary tales who could have done so much better um, had they chosen to go either abroad or not to a top club. You know, you see so many players now. Ryan Sessegnon's a good example mm. of a player who could easily, as soon as Spurs hitched up a bit of leg at him, could have said, yeah, I'm off, <laughs> I want to go to... But he stayed, he's played, he's made a contribution, he's scoring goals for fun, and he's happy. And I think if those players are going to be a success at those club, those top clubs, they need to play. They need to play. And it was quite interesting listening to Sam Allardyce earlier this season when he was saying, he was almost suggesting that maybe Lookman had made the yeah, wrong decision. Yeah. You know, and that was it's remarkable. Like, like yeah. in the, you know, it's painful, like, exactly. Uh, challenging but, for a Champions League place. One of the most brightest young, brightest manager in the game. He's learning, he's playing with good players. You know, and, and Lookman's made a positive contribution since he has yeah, been yeah. At, at Leipzig as well. Why would you want to stay there rather than in Everton's... <laughs> and the 23 team, playing fit to fat football. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, what, what, I'm sure you guys are hearing the same thing, but I'm hearing a lot of Bundesliga, Italian, Spanish clubs are now sending scouts over yeah. to yeah, they are. our yeah. under-18 games, our Premier League, um, Reserve League game, or whatever you call because it. Because they know that we cast yeah. so much talent by the wayside, you know, yeah. and, we, and we don't... We know Everyone would rather... I was t talking to Ryan Mason this weekend, and he was saying, you know, it's such a shame that we value so much expensive foreign talent yeah. over the rising stars we have in the English game. Mm. And, and, and that's an example of it. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you don't know what you've got until you lose it. Um, bearing that in mind, Arsene Wenger. Uh, 700 wins now um, in his Arsenal career. Are we witnessing another escape act? Uh, another Harry Houdini one? You know, it looks like they should have enough to get by. Milan on Thursday. Yes, they should. I mean, I thought Milan were quite naive against them and, and, and uh, easy for Arsenal to play against. And when, when you're easy to play against, Arsenal do a pretty good job of finishing you off, as they did against Watford at the, at the weekend. Will they survive? You wouldn't put it past Arsenal, the way the clubs run, to take that soft option of keeping him. I have to say, I, I think a lot of people would say, this, I love Wenger, love what he's done. I think it's the end for him, and I think they have to recognise that, even if they win the Europa League. But I, 
I'm giving up second guessing their thought process mm. as to whether they keep them or not. Mm. There's, there's a lot of latent respect for people for Wenger, mm. but also I'm thinking of Peter Cech. Now, there's yeah. two under clean sheet at the weekend. Mm. I thought he was fantastic the way he put his hands up in the previous week by saying, "Look, it was down to me." He's a you. You obviously spoke about well, yeah, to Mason. Yeah, yeah, because he he. he obviously had a relationship with Ryan Mason where he helped him and his family through what was a difficult time for them, similar injuries of course and and and, and Czech is a leader, the type of which Arsenal haven't had for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you, there was a little bit of the Chelsea player in him about the way that he came out and put his hands up and said we can't achieve what we want to if, you know, I'm making mistakes of the kind that I made. Um the problem for Wenger is that when you don't encourage generals, then when you're in trouble, you can't, you've no one to go to war for you. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Czech can't do it by himself. He, need, he By himself, he needs other players. Obviously, he's got Wilshire who cares about the club, but he's not available to him often enough. And that's why they're struggling to time to a new deal. Um, I think in, in terms of the other players, they're all, <laughs> They've not got the character of, of, of the kind that Czech has. Czech was among that group of leaders at Chelsea that went on to win so many things and were able at times to listen. They made Avram Grant look like a good manager, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> you notice he, he, Petr Czech always stays out of those selfies after yes. the first take, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I think, as far as Arsenal are concerned, I did in the match report last week when when they won at Ace Money. They're going to need an army to take him, you know, mm. because mm. You know, he's very much Tony Montana at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> Everyone's converging on him on his empire, and he's kind of <laughs> staving them off. Yeah. Yeah. Another manager is going to live through some interesting times over the next few weeks is uh, Pochettino. Yeah. The Spurs have to win the FA Cup. Obviously, it's quarterfinals this weekend. Do they have to win the FA Cup to salvage their season? No. I think there's a nuance with Spurs, right? They, they, they don't have to win a cup to vindicate Pochettino as a manager. What a great manager he is. What, what a brilliant team he's produced on, on relatively small money. And they don't have to win in order to vindicate them as players. But it would help them, and they have to recognise that, it would certainly help them as a club to get to the top. It would certainly help those players develop, and it would help Pochettino's reputation and isn't winning the point of football so mm. I think the idea that he needs to do it you've got to think of, I think he needs to do it for the development of the club but not for his reputation it would still be a good season if they don't win it but it would be in development terms a standing still season mm. because the next stage has got to be winning and I, I, I saw Jan Vertonghen last week and he said that he remembered being at Ajax who'd gone I think seven years without winning a title the first thing they did was win the Dutch Cup after a couple of near misses, and after that, two titles came in a row. So, I, the thing I don't like about Pochettino, I think there's sometimes an element of denial about. Very, very overt, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, the cups don't matter. Yeah, I mean they do. They don't matter in terms of, you know, you're still a good manager, but come on, it's the next thing that you need to do. Mm. Darren, Harry Kane, have we got permission to panic? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should, because this is a very different crop of players where there are other players we've seen now we have other players who can score goals in the England team and I think that we'd be it'd be really dangerous to go down the road of you know, putting everything at the feet of one player as we used to in the past Pep Guardiola showing us that we have a real player who can score goals in mm. in Raheem Sterling Deli Ali can score goals as well uh, Marcus Rashford can score goals as well Jamie Vardy can score goals as well uh, yes we all know about Kane's uh, fitness I have to say, he, he was injured, I think, in 2017 against uh, Millwall. And in that game, Sconson actually scored a hat-trick as well. They won 6 still, And he was back playing within a month. Mm. Uh, and it was ligaments as well they were talking about at the time. So uh, I, I would not be concerned for those two reasons. A, I don't think he'll be out for that long. He limped off the off the pitch, which kind of suggests that it's not that serious. He, he was he left in an air boot, though, didn't he? Yeah, he did leave in an air boot, yeah. But B, I think we we have good players in the England squad, and and I've always been of the of the opinion that sometimes we set too much store by one player yeah. when we have other talents as well. You agree with that, do you? I do. Hurricane's amazing, but Darren's right. England have got to get out of this mindset that it's all about one player. 
that's not how Germany think, that's not how Spain think, that's not how Brazil think, that's not how really top teams think. And I actually think Gareth Southgate is a more... He's always... You know, he doesn't want to have a permanent captain. He's always gone against that star culture. He was a player when Beckham was overriding the whole team and he didn't like it on a personal level. So he's not a bad man to have in this situation um, to, to, to try and create something different. If Harry Kane doesn't go to the World Cup, and I think he probably will, but if mm. he didn't, I think, I think Gareth Southgate would, would actually... He'd be OK with that as a manager whereas maybe some predecessors would have panicked a bit more. While we're on England, obviously the squads for Italy and, and Holland are going to be announced on Thursday. Who's going to be the goalkeeper? <laughs> That's a really I'm glad good you gave Dan that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll be Joe Hart. Um, I think he's having a, uh, a difficult season. That's probably a Does he deserve his place in the three? I wouldn't say... I would... Listen, he's the most experienced, obviously, of the three. But he's not playing often enough, and when he does, he's not playing very well. He's poor on Saturday, um, isn't he? Yeah, and I, I think he doesn't inspire confidence in, in, in the defenders in front of him. Um, and I think it might be harsh on him, but I think his time may well have passed, and I think you've got to go for a younger goalkeeper, put some faith in them. We've seen that Gareth Southgate isn't afraid to do that because the lineup he fielded against Brazil was yeah. a very young lineup. Mm. So I, I don't think he is afraid or concerned by it. And I don't think we should be either. You know, Pickford's a very promising goalkeeper. Butland is a very promising goalkeeper. And I think... Uh, Nick Pope at Burnley's come in there and... Exactly. Been terrific, hasn't Exactly. And, and, and I just think we have to have faith in these players. Every time we go out of, of a tournament, we say, get these has-beens out. I wouldn't say has-beens, it's probably the wrong <laughs> phrase, but the, there's a lot of knee-jerk, you know, and let's have faith in some of the rising stars who have done well in our league uh, and, and done well throughout the course of the season. I think some of those players have earned the right to be given the faith at the World Cup. Mm. I noticed that Butland's been linked yet again to, to Liverpool. Mm. Um, do you see him as the best of the three that we've got? It's difficult because I think they're all they're all young and they're all on a you know and they're all making mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Which I suppose is natural, isn't it? They've all got different kind of shortcomings. I mean, you know, we, we saw Pickford uh, and his problem at, at set pieces and corners a couple of couple of games ago, where you know he just doesn't dominate his box properly, wants mm. to be on the line, but then he's incredibly agile. Makes he makes those special saves that maybe Butland doesn't, but Butland's got more of a a tidier game, I think. Uh, more presence, more assurance. And then Nick Pope's a wild card because if you're just looking on Premier League form, then he's having the best season of the lot. But, of mm. course, he's never been to that mm. higher level. And Sean Dyche has got this kind of alchemy that makes anyone who's in a defensive role for him look incredible. Like I mean, Michael Keane. Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, whatever he's got, mm. he's, it's, it's amazing. So we need to see him out of that context. I think I'd give it to Butland at the moment. I think he's, he's, he's the safest pair of hands probably at the moment. Mm. Back to the FA Cup, if I may, Darren. Chrissy Hewton mm -hmm. became the first black manager to win the Manager of the Month award for the Premier League. 25 years, yeah. I think he's universally popular in our game, isn't he? I, I, he's a terrific guy. Put into context the achievement of this season for him, you know, they're going to Manchester United in the FA Cup. There is a sense that even if they lose that but they stay up, it's been a heck of a season. It has, because... I think a, a microcosm of their season is that Vincent Janssen in the summer was one of a number of strikers who, who didn't fancy a move there because he thought they were they didn't have a chance of staying in the Premier League. Mm. Now he's in Turkey, you know, all the very best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think as far as Brighton are concerned, a lot of those players are players he came up with. He shopped well. Yeah. Mm. Um, they've got a good scouting system. They've though. got a good scouting system. And... He's bought Lacadia in mm. the January transfer window, who's hit the ground running for them. But they've got belief. He's given them belief. That's the biggest thing. You know, even when they were going through bad runs, he kept them believing that they could do it. They were always organised. They were always efficient. And I don't think Chris Hutton has ever really been given the credit he deserves. And by that, I mean this. Every time a big job comes up or a higher calibre job comes up, you never hear his name mentioned. No. Mm. Ever. Why is that? He, at Newcastle, when they were a basket case of a club, they went down, he took them straight back up. You know, and, and Norwich, and, he did well at Norwich. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike actually sacked him at Newcastle. Why? 
Mm. You know, nobody knows why. <laughs> you know, he took the club up when they could have been languishing in, in the second tier. And then he goes to Brighton and, and realising that he would have to go and get a club and bring them up rather than get a job in the Premier League because no one was going to give him one. Mm. But he did that and he's brought them up. He's kept them believing they will stay up because below them are far worse organised clubs and mm. far worse organised teams. But not only because of that, because they've earned the right to stay up, they've fought, they've mm. scrapped, they've earned their points, they've done it the hard way, but they'll stay up. And I think he utterly deserves that manager of the month award. Mm. Leicester, a club you know well, mm. Johnny. They've got Chelsea. Mm. Are Leicester the dark horses in the FA Cup? Yes, I think they are. I mean, it goes without saying that this is a club that can overachieve. They've still got special players. Vardy and Mahrez are on incredible form. There's, a, there's an importance about the FA Cup for Leicester as well as a club. It's their unfinished business in football. If you look at their history in the 60s, three cup finals, it's a very romantic competition. They never won it with some great teams. Everyone at the club really wants to win it. And I think Chelsea's not a bad draw for them either. I think they've got the, the tools, especially with Chelsea coming off the back of a what's going to be a gruelling night in, in, in Barcelona. I think they've got the tools to win that game. Uh, and there's a quiet confidence around the around the city about what the club can do in the in, in the cup. So it's not. A, I think they need the right draw, even beyond Chelsea, but not a bad bet. It'd be interesting as well, wouldn't it? Cool, Powell. Yeah. Everyone said, "What are you doing?" You know, and he could end the season with the FA Cup. Yeah, and of yeah. course he's been to a cup final, hasn't he, with yeah. the Southampton? He knows how to get there. Speaking of Southampton, Darren, are they likely to lose at Wigan? Because the wheels seem to have officially come off. Wigan have beaten now three Premier League sides on the way to West Ham, Bournemouth and obviously, mm. very famously, uh, Manchester City. And they've lost only twice since November, which is an astonishing run. Mm. And so anyone thinking that, you know, they could uh, fall by the wayside having run their race would be sadly mistaken. And they're not just all about Will Grigg either. You know, they've got Nick Powell. He scored 12 goals so far this season. Devante Cole, son of the legendary yeah. Andy. Um, he scored 12 goals as well so far this season. And they are, again, well organised. They've got a lot of belief. And I think Southampton, anyone who saw Southampton play in the Premier League in their last game will know they are a mess. And it's a strong thing to say, but I think he has lost the confidence of those players because they, it was aimless, it was shapeless, it was devoid of organisation, belief, uh, a game plan, a strategy. And he came out to compound that by saying the players had given up. Yeah. So publicly he's criticised them. They don't have any faith in him anyway. I think they are there for the taking. And I'd be very surprised if Wigan were to lose. <laughs> Mm. Because I, I, I think this is really a passage to the semi-finals for them. Yeah, yeah. We we know Southampton as a as a very well-run club, long-term strategy. But is this time for short-term thinking? Should they actually sack their manager? And you know, there's a lot of talk about Jokanovic maybe, or even Graham Potter, who did so well at mm. Ostersunds. Well, I th it's a difficult one. I mean, I think he will take them down. I agree with Darren. I think I think they've at that they've passed that point a long time ago. There's a drift to Southampton and and. Pellegrino is, is not inspiring the players to, to change their performance. Graham Potter's done a good job at Ostersunds. He doesn't have to jump in a, 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 a Premier League club that may well go down, whoever the manager is. Um, and Jukanovic is the same at Fulham. You know, the way they're playing, he mm. can take them up quite easily. Mm. Um, and it's at that point now where would you take Southampton because you might just be in the, in, in, in the championship next season. Anyway, that's why they've left it too late. That, that, sadly, in terms of manager longevity, that's why you probably have to do your sacking January or before the January transfer window. Mm. And you know, we talk about managers taking clubs down. Alan Pardew is taking West Brom down, irrespective of whether they keep him on until you know, the formalities are completed. I thought it was really interesting that Pardew got his retaliation in first on yes, Saturday did, yeah, yeah. and had a go at the players. When you've done that, <laughs> it, all bets are off, aren't they? They are, they are. I think he knows that he's lost mm. the dressing room. Um, and I think uh, he's been aware some time. I think once that incident happened in Barcelona with the four play senior players, players that mm. none of us would have expected, when we heard this story, they said four players, none of us would have called those four yeah, names. I think I think it may have been more players, actually. I do know a little bit about it, and I think the full story of that night hasn't come out. Mm. What I'd say is I think those four players have possibly taken the rap for, for it. Well, I think in terms of where the club are, 
they don't quite need snookers yet, but they will do soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think as far as the, you, you look at Pardew's position, the, 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 what, what that incident shows is that he's not affecting anything off the pitch mm -hmm. and he isn't affecting anything on the pitch. And actually, the defeat last weekend was even worse given that they'd scored first. So they couldn't even hold on to the advantage. Mm. And, and, and the way that they were taken apart, and more to the point, surrendered, you know, that shows that effectively they're down. It's just a question of when it's mm. all, all sealed. And you talk about managers and the, the point at which you replace them. It's quite interesting that few people want this job now. Mm. You know, it's a really unattractive mm. job, which is a shame because West Brom are a big club, a wonderful club. Yeah. But they, they are heading in one direction, not just in points terms, but just in terms yeah. of the direction. Because if they go, you would imagine quite a few of those players would say, look, I can go elsewhere, and I will. Mm. Uh, and then we're, they could be one of those clubs who go down to the championship, and you might not see them in the Premier League for a little while. Yeah. Some questions from the viewers and the listeners. One from Davy Joe. Johnny, where do you rate Messi? Best ever? No, not yet. I think we're rushing to sort of give him the title too early. I still think, if you look at the criteria, I still think you can't get past Pelé. You know, 1,200, 1,300 goals in his career. A man who, you know, at the end of his career then goes and brings football to America and, and has the charisma to invent something there. He's won, won the World Cup at 17, two goals in the final at 17. Messi was a good 17-year-old, but he was on the bench for Barcelona a lot of the time. Pelé's winning the World Cup at 17. He's shining in the greatest football team of all time, the 1970 Brazil side. He's, a, he's still the star player. The Brazilian league must have been some competition <laughs> yeah. in those days when you look at the players that came out of it. So we can't take those 1,300 goals lightly. And I just think he gets dismissed because we're all very European about it, because yes. Messi's done it on our doorstep. None of that's to decry Messi. He's just incredible. I don't think that the whole not winning the World Cup thing can... It's not his fault he didn't. He's not playing with the players that Pelé played with. But he isn't quite there yet. But there's still more to come from Messi, so come totally. back to that one in seven years' totally. time. And more to come from Ronaldo as well, Cristiano Ronaldo? I think more to come, although age isn't on his side. That's a big problem for him, but you see the way his appetite for the game, he looks after himself, he took his goal against PSG the other day really well. Um, we're very fortunate, and perhaps we don't appreciate enough that we're living in an age of two outstanding footballers, uh, two greats of yeah. the game. But you know, I watched the Pele uh, story of my sons the yeah, other day, amazing, and they were literally in, in mystified, enthralled by what they were watching, yeah. and the enormity, as you say, of his achievement mm. as a 17-year-old when most players can't get into their European mm. team. We forget that. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny to say that because that's exactly what I did with my son. I gave him a DVD yeah. of Pele when he was about 14, yeah. and he loved it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and on those DVDs, you see the challenges that he, the, the, oh, you yeah. know, the way they used to tackle attacking flair players. <laughs> Messi hasn't had that. That's the thing. If Pele were playing now with the pristine position, uh, pitches, the protection for <laughs> yeah. attacking players, how many more goals would he have scored? Yeah. Yeah. So no, absolutely agree with you. A yeah. um, couple of questions on Tottenham. I'll start with one from Paul Fry. Uh, Pochettino has been given a hard time following the Juve result. Surely it's too soon for us to judge him and for Real to steal him. Agree? Uh, uh, yeah, I do. Although, to go back to what I said earlier, he has to... I, I want to see him being a bit harder on himself. That's all. I, I want. I, I, if I was playing for him, if I was a Spurs supporter, I just want to see it hurt him a little bit more. It should have... I'm sure it did hurt him, but I want him to show it. I want him to learn from it. Because they were 1-0 up against Juve, which is an overachievement and all that kind of stuff, but they were in a winning position mm. and they lost it and that's not the first time that's happened to Spurs and they've got to improve from that. But would it be too early for them to go from a Premier League point of view? It'd be, it'd be sad to lose them. Yeah. Mike from West Yorkshire, Darren. Can Spurs' loss to Juve be traced back to the sidelining of their best defender because he won't agree a contract that... It's clearly below market value for someone of his ability. I think they're two separate issues. Um, I definitely think if he were playing, they would not have lost because he organises that defence very well. And I know that because I've followed Spurs over there, as you know, I've followed Spurs for many years. And before he arrived, they were a shambles. He's improved for Tongan, who has now you know, come on leaps and bounds since his arrival. They look tighter. Theirs was the joint best defence two seasons ago with Manchester United when Alderweireld was playing. Last season, it was the best defence in the Premier League. A lot of people rewrite history 
either when players leave Spurs or, you know, when they're not able to agree new contracts. People saying last season Carl Walker wasn't yeah. the best defender there. Of course he was. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's smoke signals coming out again suggesting maybe he's not as good as he was. Alderweireld is a wonderful defender who's been injured, but they don't want to give him what he wants. And he looks very likely to leave at the end of this season. Mistakes happen in games. And, and, and you know, Ben Davis played... Uh, who was it, Dybala yeah. on side and, and they went on to score. You're talking about a high-class, battle-hardened Juventus side who know how to find a way to win. Mm -hmm. And when and you get what you pay for. Higuain, £89 million, yeah. pounds, finds a big goal at the right time. Dybala, bright young yeah. talent, um, again, scores, takes advantage of a mistake. Spurs were just too inexperienced. They'll yeah. get better, but I think the two issues are separate. I think Alderweireld is going to be a big miss for Spurs. Okay. Finally, I just want to spend a couple of minutes looking at the West Ham situation, which is pretty much out of control. Are we watching here an object lesson in how to kill a club? Well, maybe. I mean, it's. I think what I think what fans hate most of all, fans of all clubs, is being taken for a ride. And I think that's where the West Ham fans are at the moment. I've, I've, you know, it's, it's not the fact the club's not doing well. They've been relegated. They've come, you know, they're a yo-yo club. I think West Ham fans can accept that. I don't even think it's a fact that some of the football in the last two or three years hasn't been the greatest because you know they've got a mixed history with that as well. I think it's a fact they've been sold this dream of going to the stadium and we're going to sign star players and it's going to be shiny and new and all of that justifies leaving our spiritual home and it hasn't happened and, and that's why there's so much anger. I know there's a lot more to it, there's a lot of inter-fan politics involved and, and, and so on. But I think that ultimately, you know, you've got a, a working-class group of fans who resent being taken for a ride by the bosses. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Now, in their defence, David Sullivan and David Gold say they've never taken a penny in wages out of the club. However, since 2011-12, they've taken nearly £15 million, to be precise, £14,875,000 out of the club in interest payments. Mm. There's a disconnect there, isn't there? There is a disconnect, and, and, and fans who are doing their research themselves uh, are presenting the club with these numbers that, in their opinion, damn them. Uh, and the anger is bubbling over, and I think you can only do so much to, to, to prevent that. The problem in general terms, for those fans, for the club, is that their anger could derail their bid to stay up. We already know there are three teams in, in, at the bottom of the Premier League. You could pretty much be certain that will go down. Yeah. But the anger that is bubbling over over this, and, and these are, it's entirely legitimate uh, points to raise and to level at the club. But I just wonder if they'd be better off putting them to, to one side until the end of the season. There are huge issues surrounding the whole thing because, as has been pointed out by all of our colleagues, you know, when do you protest? How do you protest? If it's all organised and orderly, mm -hmm. then you don't really make your point. Mm -hmm. The reason why we're talking about all of this, highlighting these numbers, highlighting the deficiencies in the mm. team, uh, with the issues with the stadium, whatever else, is because the fans did things their way, on their mm. terms, at the weekend. None of us condone going onto the pitch. No. Uh, and I think there are big issues regarding the protection of players, not just at West Ham. We saw it at Wigan with Aguero. Uh, we've seen it many times, Aston Villa, uh, other clubs as well. There are issues with that. And, and Saturday threw up a, a, a plethora of issues uh, regarding the, the, the whole thing. But the impression, Darren, is that, OK, under their deal, which you know, they basically trumped themselves, that, yeah, this is the deal of not just the century, the millennium, mm. in going to the Olympic Stadium, they're not paying for policing. Oh. They're not paying for yeah. security. No. The, the impression is that West Ham want everything and don't want to pay for anything. Yeah. Absolutely, and and I think that, that that's something, A, that they've never addressed to anyone's satisfaction. And they are. It's a fact that they're not putting money into the club, you know, and taxpayers do resent having to pay for it. And, listen, they did what most other clubs would do. They saw an opportunity and they took it. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, for fans anyway, is that they've not made enough of that opportunity in football ter footballing terms. They may well have made a few bob uh, for themselves, but in terms of what they've done for their team, it's very little. I don't think this is going to... There is no let-up on this, and the fans will not be satisfied as things stand and, and, unless they leave, which I don't know. I'm worried that this could be an endgame. Yeah, and if you look at it, the FA have got to do something. 
you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're investigating what went on. Will they be justified in closing the ground, making them play behind closed doors? It's so complicated because you have to think of the Premier League as a product as well that's sold around the world and, and, and how many billion pounds spent by foreign TV broadcasters and you, you can't... But that can't decide on whether it's right or of wrong, Of course not, it? of course not, but the commercial interests are pretty heavy, so they will not want the world to be watching football matches in an empty stadium. Arsenal in the did look horrendous, didn't it? Ar the Arsenal game with the empty seats. Fans are mm. really important to the way football looks on television. So it's a really difficult one, but the worst thing, of course, would be repeats of those scenes. That's even worse than an empty stadium, of course, mm. which is why the FA may, may have to act. Surely the, the, it goes beyond that, though. People have to be safe at a football match. It's not just the FA. Well, you saw the Burnley oh, players you know, putting kids into the uh, yeah. into their dugout. I mean, that, that was the worst image of the weekend yeah. for me. I know you've got the punch-ups in the stands and, and the flag. The worst image was the children being put in the substitutes mm. uh, seats in mm. the Burnley dugout because... West Ham packaged themselves as a family club. Yeah. The Premier League is packaged as commercially as a family product. Bring your kids to the game. You know we are there for everyone, and yet there is danger there. And there are there are kids who possibly will never go to another football match. We saw as well, just as an aside, at West Brom there was an incident where objects were painted at uh, Jeff Astle's widow. Mm. A four-year-old as well was wow. struck by a missile as well at that game. We can't have situations where angry fans create scenes that are bad for the Premier League. And I think as far as you, in your build-up a second ago, you used the words out of control. Mm -hmm. That's what the situation is at West Ham because there are five games, home games left there. The next one is against uh, Southampton on the 31st of March. That could be carnage if there isn't some kind of order restored in some way, shape or form by the authorities. Mm -hmm. Well, there used to be a football club at Upton Park, West Ham United, RIP. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.